Rinkwide Vancouver. The Canucks skating to Seattle and defeat the Kraken by a score of 5-1. to one. It's Jeff Patterson along with Harmon Dial of The Athletic and Canucks Convo. And he's uh, joining us here on Rinkwide for the first time. Rinkwide, a presentation of Betway. The Kraken, supposed to be this big, bad creature from the deep arm, but it was the Canucks depth that came through on this night. Uh, what a night for Sam Lafferty and Nils Hoaglander and Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua and Ilya Mikheyev. There's your five goal scorers for the Vancouver Canucks. And really, it was a story of the depth on this hockey club that carries them to the victory in the Emerald City. You know, there have been games this season where the Canucks have had lopsided scores, but it's usually been the power play cooking. It's been Miller... Pedersen, Hughes picking up three, four point nights. Uh, but this time it was everybody chipping in. And it's been so, so long since the Canucks' bottom six has been rolling this effectively on a night where Pedersen seemed pretty quiet again. Uh, Miller probably wasn't at his best, even though he had a couple of gutsy defensive blocks. Uh, Brock Besser had a lot of looks, but just wasn't able to convert either. And it's nice to finally have a team that's deep enough to where your top guys aren't going and yet you have enough depth to support them and uh, give you a much needed win because this team has been a little up and down over this last stretch and to pick up a win knowing that you're going to have to play again the second night, albeit it being a game against the Sharks, uh, it's, uh, it's huge for this team. Yeah, and this is a team that played all right for 40 minutes in Colorado, but let that game get away in the third period. They let the game against the Kraken last Saturday at Rogers Arena get away from them in the third period. And so I thought in the third period here, ultimately, uh, the final shots are 12 to 2. Uh, you know, they outscore Seattle's shots on goal with goals of their own and really made life pretty easy for Thatcher Demko in that third period. So I think Rick Tockett would have to be pretty happy with the way that his team kind of shut things down and carried the play in that third period. It's funny, I was thinking as this game went along, the second game of the season in Edmonton, the rematch with the Oilers, remember that night, Lafferty, Studnika, Hoaglander got his first of the year, Kuzmenko also scored that night, but there were depth guys that came through and sort of carried them to victory then. And then the game in Nashville at the tail end of that first Eastern road trip, Ilya Mikheyev scored, Phil Giuseppe scored, and again it was Nils Hoaglander. So there have been a couple of wins for the Canucks already this season where you know they haven't relied on the Stars, but... For the most part, as you said, and anybody that's watched this team knows the stories here with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and J.T. Miller and the start that Brock Besser is off to. But I think good teams have these kind of nights where their best players either are held in check or just don't have their best stuff going. And one of the storylines coming into this night, obviously, was Andre Kuzmenko being scratched for the first time this season, second time in his NHL career. And on top of that a whole bunch of different looks for the Vancouver Canucks up front. And so do we declare the lineup and the line changes by Rick Tockett a massive success? I don't know about that because really the only line that stayed together was that Bluger, Joshua, and Garland line. They've been playing well. They just haven't had much to show for it, but they come out of this one with a tangible takeaway of points on the score sheet. A lot of them also helping out on the penalty kill, which was huge. I mean, the Canucks just... The first five minutes, they were all over the crack, and the forecheck was established. They were really quick. They're forcing Seattle to turn a lot of pucks over, which is pretty impressive because that's a team that transitions the puck really fast up the ice. And we saw in the second period, once Seattle started to take over, that they come at you um, at waves on the rush. And then, of course, Canucks shooting themselves in the foot with 
Hoaglander penalty, Miller penalty, Myers double minor, a lot of pe penalty killing action, of course, helped out a little bit there by a great coach's challenge. Uh, credit to the Canucks' video coaching staff for that turning back uh, what could have been a Beneers opening goal. And that's where it was interesting. Teddy Bluger, through his first six games, had only logged 419 of shorthanded time. Um, he was up north you know, of of two minutes of, uh, of PK time. I think we saw him a lot more regularly. Nils Zaman drawing in to make his season debut. He actually led Canucks forwards in PK time. So those guys also chipping in there uh, on the back end. I thought Ian Cole was a beast. And it felt like the Canucks' PK was, especially once they got the clear, they made it a really difficult time for Seattle to get set up on entries. It felt like the Canucks were sort of aggressive, uh, closing on pucks. They were pretty compact there. And that's another area where, of course, you know, Miller and Pedersen and, and Hughes still logs in PK minutes, but a lot of that is on your depth to step up there. And that's exactly what they did. Well, especially with the schedule. I mean, they're coming to this end of the stretch that we've talked about. This is another five and eight. That'll be, you know, 10 games and 17 nights. This is back to back. And if you're going to lean on Elias Pedersen and JT Miller to do everything and kill penalties, uh, how much are they ultimately going to have left in the tank? And so a little surprised in the first penalty to see Nilsman plugged in the lineup and part of the penalty kill. And then, as you said, you know, that became a thing through this night and Teddy Bluger. And so I like the fact, too, that once they established a bit of a lead in the third period, you know, that gives them that just a little bit of a cushion to back off guys like Hughes and Hironic because you know that they're going to play, even if it's San Jose, they're still going to play and play a lot on Saturday. And you didn't, if it's a 2-1 game right down to the death, you know, those guys are probably logging 10 minutes each in the third period, didn't have to do that. So uh, I think the Canucks helped their own cause in that regard. But you know, let's go back to those first couple of penalty kills because before Teddy Bluger scores on the breakaway, Dakota Joshua sprung by Noah Juleson, great heads up play at the Canuck blue line, gets Joshua off to the races, doesn't score then, but uh, moments later, it's Teddy Bluger who strips the puck off Justin Schultz, like a 20-goal score going in uh, on that one, made no mistake whatsoever, maybe a shootout candidate somewhere down the road, file that away, uh, whatever the case, uh, no shootout needed in this one, but Teddy Bluger opens the scoring for the Canucks, his first of the year, he had a strong preseason, and then they got hurt in that preseason finale, and so, you know, this is a guy that, he had seven shots the other night against uh, San Jose, like it was all around the net and had a bunch of chances and couldn't buy one then. And that's kind of been a story for a lot of these guys lower in the lineup is they just can't buy goals. But uh, a bunch of them cashed in tonight and Teddy Bluger got the ball rolling. I think it's important. You mentioned, you mentioned the coach's challenge. Like let's not overlook that point of this hockey game because yeah, the Canucks score, it's one nothing. And I think it was a minute and a half later there's Matty Beneers, and, you know, he's finding his form. He was really good at Rogers Arena last weekend. Uh, looked to tie the hockey game, and the Canucks video staff, I had to check this, but they're now 3-0 and on coaches' challenges this year. Interestingly enough, all of them have come at one nothing. So it looked like the other team had tied the game. You know, they're on the board, they get some life, and before they know it, the goal is wiped away and carry on. And, and in all three occasions, the Canucks have scored the next goal as well. So again, full credit to the coaching staff. They watch all those entries. Two of them have been offside challenges, one in Montreal, one here. And then there was uh, the goaltender interference one the other night against the San Jose Sharks as well. And the Canucks are three for three. So that to me was a big point in this hockey game. It looks like a 5-1 laugher, but if the Kraken get on the board early, the fans are into it and who knows where the game goes from there. 
Yeah, it's gotten to the point where when Rick Tockett made that challenge, I just have such a high conf confidence level in this coaching staff that I was like, yeah, that's probably coming back, especially with their history and, and how selective they've been uh, this season. The other aspect of it through the first two periods that sort of kept them in the game to then take over in the third period was, was Thatcher Demko. I thought he was uh, excellent. I mean, one of the saves that really stood out to me in the first period was um, Juleson, who had some positive moments, but one of them was sort of wheeling around the net, was stripped of the puck, and 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 the pass was sort of made across to Tolvanen, one of those crossing plays that are so difficult for goaltenders to stop, but Demko seemed to have read it perfectly and was able to stretch out and make that save. And then even in the second period, the, the amount of rush chances that Seattle uh, was able to generate, that's really their bread and butter. Again, sort of felt like they were coming at Vancouver uh, in waves for the first seven minutes or so. After that, it felt like the Canucks started to pick up some momentum. Uh, of course, that's where Joshua then scored, and it felt like the Canucks started to get some traction again. But especially for that first seven minutes or so of the second period, it felt like the Canucks were under siege, and Demko was really able to uh, hold the fort down. And that's really one of the big differences, right? You look at Seattle with Joey Decord on the other end of it, you got that. You got Thatcher Demko. That's a huge advantage for the Canucks in net. Even heading into this game, Demko led all NHL goalies and goal saved above expected according to Evolving Hockey's model. So I'm sure he added to that uh, total after tonight's uh, victory. Yeah, and look, he has been incredible for the Canucks. Goaltending has been great, whether it's Demko or DeSmith. But I, I think anybody that's watched this team all year would admit that you know Thatcher maybe in the last week, like the team itself, hasn't been otherworldly. Like the other night in Colorado, you know, there were, uh, the McCarr goal. That's one, it's Kale McCarr, I get that. But that's, that, if you ask Thatcher Demko, he's like, I want to win that one-on-one -on -one battle. And that puck got past him. There have been a couple here of late that have gotten past him. And so Seattle got the one and that was it. And then, you know, he didn't have to do a lot in the second period, but I'm with you. I marked down the Tolvanen chance as well, because uh, just flashes that left pad out there. And just, he looked in command to me early. And when he's in that groove, he almost gives off that air that, he's unbeatable and, or he feels like he's invincible and that it's going to be a tough night for opponents. And I thought early in this hockey game, those eight minutes of power plays in the first period, you know, the Kraken had the puck, but they didn't do a lot with it. And some of that was because Thatcher Demko just looked big in the net, made the saves that he was supposed to. And you can feel like the Canucks feed off the confidence that he provides them. So I thought a big night for Thatcher Demko and obviously a big night for the guys in front of him as the Canucks defeat the Kraken by a score of five to one. They're 14, six and one on the season now. Seven and five is the road team. And with the two points collected at Climate Pledge, they're back within a single point of Vegas. And obviously that's going to continue to change as things go here. Vegas has a game in hand, but I mean, Vegas is in town in Vancouver on Thursday. You know, I, I just think this close now, the Canucks will be within striking distance of the Stanley Cup champs at the end of November, which is just a, a, a sentence I did not think I would ever utter at the outset of this season. But also from the Canucks' perspective in this Pacific Division race, LA behind them has been absolutely rolling as well. So this is why I think it's been, you know, important for the Canucks to pick up this win in Seattle, hopefully get another one um, in San Jose because the Kings are just nipping at their heels so it could quickly become a conversation uh, had the Canucks faltered on a night like this where it's not so much can they catch Vegas, but oh boy, LA's right behind them. And, and now all of a sudden we're talking about them potentially sliding to third in the Pacific. So before the season, if somebody had told you that there'd be two teams, one of them absolutely scuffling out of the gate, 
One of them off to this terrific start. One of them is the Oilers and one of them are the Canucks. Nobody would have guessed that it'd be the uh, copper bust Edmonton Oilers down in the basement and that it'd be the Canucks who get off to these awful starts year after year um, off to this flyer. Yeah, and the fact that the Canucks' success against the Oilers is part of that story as well with the the 3-0 record against Edmonton. Let's get into a couple of individual performances here. We've touched on them already, but let's dig a little bit deeper. And and Dakota Joshua uh, has been playing well since the healthy scratch. The last time the Canucks were in San Jose, he wasn't in the lineup for that 10-1 win. And, you know, a message was sent then. And we know in the preseason, uh, Rick Tockett had some choice words for him as well. Didn't get off to a great start, although he did score on opening night. Uh, felt like everybody did in that 8-1 win over the Edmonton Oilers. But goals have been hard to come by. That said, there are a lot of other things that he can do and does for this hockey club. I mean, everybody wants to put the puck in the net. But since the healthy scratch in San Jose, he's been among the league leaders in hits. He has had a number of shifts that he has spent in the offensive zone, imposing his size and his will on opponents. And his goal tonight at the end of a minute and 22 second shift where at one point he's the lone Canuck on the ice, the rest of them are changing and he's controlling the puck down below the goal line, you know, pinning the puck against the boards there, wearing the opponents down and then his teammates catch up to him. The goal was gravy though, because we talked about the breakaway that he had shorthanded. He also made a terrific feed to Brock Besser off the rush in the second period. And so, you know, on nights like this one, I think you see the many things that Dakota Joshua can bring to the mix. Doesn't do it every single night, but there has been more consistency, I'd say, in his game here in the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. And when he's assertive, when he's bringing energy to the table, when he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, it sort of translates, it feels like, to every part of uh, his game. Another aspect that where he's been really successful lately is the penalty kill. I mean, you think about the way that uh, in the San Jose game, Lafferty's uh, shorthanded goal sort of changed the momentum. That started with Dakota Joshua having a great stick in the defensive zone to stop the uh, D-to-D pass there. And it's not just that moment, though. It it feels like he's one of their better forwards at angling the puck carrier to one side of the ice where the Canucks have support, where they have extra bodies. He has the speed to be able to track guys down. He's been really disruptive with the stick. If anything, I've been thinking to myself, he's a player that maybe as the season sort of go, goes along, you you look to maybe even lean a little bit more on shorthanded wise. Um, although you also have Mikheyev as uh, somebody that has historically been a great penalty killer that the longer he is removed from his um, ACL injury, he's probably going to take on a bigger role. But he's been really effective in, in every phase of the game. And I like how direct he is. You look at the way, for instance, he set up that Besser chance. It's just flying through the middle of the ice. And we saw the flashes of offense uh, that he can create last season when he had 11 goals. So much of it was attack the middle, attack the net with speed, but also he has underrated hands. And when he has a confidence, he can pull off a nifty maneuver here, here and there. And I think especially him being able to play with Connor Garland. Garland's a player that can sort of drive a line, which helps Joshua out in that sense, because now there's not as much pressure on him to do this sort of heavy lifting offensively. It's more, how do I compliment this guy? And so much of it is sort of getting open in the right spots, being a net front presence. And when he does sort of get the puck from Garland, um, it's making those quick decisions. So I've really liked his game recently. And who doesn't like Nils Hoaglander's game these days? Uh, and it's coming now with a bottom line as well. But ask Brandon Tanev if it's all about scoring when it comes to Nils Hoaglander. Not the biggest guy in the world, but plays bigger than his size. We saw that in that 
uh, COVID season, his rookie season, where he won just about every puck battle imaginable, but also, you know, was able to generate some points then. And then obviously it's been a bit of a, a struggle for him to, to stay in the NHL lineup. But this past week or two weeks, this guy looks like a staple, especially at his price point, and just lowers the boom on Brandon Tanev. I've watched the hit a couple of times, and, you know, sometimes you'll see a guy has another player lined up and you just know the inevitable outcome. Like, that hit materializes. It's not like Hoaglander takes two or three strides. Like, again, he just uses his size effectively and absolutely corked Brandon Tanev, who unfortunately has struggled with injuries this year, left this game and didn't return, and you hope that he's all right. You know, it's Neil Hoaglander's job to finish checks when they're there and available to him, and so lowers the boom off Tanev and then showed pretty good uh, hands again, snapshot short side for his seventh goal of the season harm, and he's been a healthy scratch twice. He's only played 19 games, and the guy's got seven goals. What I like so much about his play so far this season is that he's really adopted that role of being a pest, being so annoying to, to play against. It's, it's funny, sometimes you'll be watching, especially when you're in the press box and you've got a full view of the game instead of just what the TV cameras are showing you. And he just does little things that drive defensemen um, nuts. The way that he sometimes in a battle will just grab onto the opponent's stick just a little while longer, not, not long enough that the ref is going to call him for a penalty, but enough to get under the skin of the defenseman. I think back to some of the Oilers' games where he was living rent-free in Matthias Ekholm's head there. And even in the first game, I remember he stripped Drysaddle of the puck in the defensive zone and Drysaddle was not having it at all. He's just so fiery. And, and to play that type of a role at his size, he is such a muscular guy. And this is somebody that even when he was drafted, there were videos circulating on, on Twitter about how this guy is just a beast in the gym, one of the hardest working guys. Um, he's, he's consistently been praised for his fitness results. Uh, that's what allows him to play such a tenacious style. And it's important for him because he needs to, in addition to some of those extracurricular activities, also from a practical sense, uh, win board battles. When pucks are rimmed around the wall in the defensive zone, he has to chip those out, which I think he's done a much better job of recently. Of course, he hasn't been perfect, but I think he's done a great job of cutting down those mistakes. I think he's managing the puck a lot better when the Canucks are transitioning the puck up the ice. Under Boudreaux, it felt like he was prone to giveaways, which would sometimes lead to rushes against. But I really can't think of many egregious Hoaglander turnovers at all. He's been really safe and responsible in that end. And then the finishing he showed on the goal he scored, two things there. One, I really liked how he had his head up looking towards Garland as if he was going to pass. That little deception's huge because if the court sees Hoaglander just staring straight at the net, he's going to anticipate the shot. And when an NHL goaltender has that long to square up, get ready for the shot, more likely than not, he's going to make the save. So first of all, big credit to him for selling the pass. And then second, I just want to say that's a type of finish that Hoaglander for the last couple of seasons just hasn't shown. It felt like in previous years, he would generate a lot of these sorts of chances, but had a muffin of a shot, wasn't able to pick his spots right. I was going wide, and that was a really clinical finish, which is really nice to see as well. Somebody came at me on social during the game and said, like, is Hoaglander the most hated Canuck since Alex Burroughs? And his point was the Canucks are way more fun to watch when they've got somebody that the other team, you know, just loses their mind and is chasing around the ice. I came back with first-year Antoine Roussel, I think played that role pretty effectively, and then 
had the knee injury and was never the same and obviously then was dealt. But I do think that you know, along those lines, whatever the case, like, yeah, Alex Burroughs certainly had a ton of that but could back it up with his play. Uh, Roussel was pretty effective that first year. I think people forget that. For people that don't know Niels Hoaglander and we have the chance to talk to him, like, he doesn't say much. And I almost think that would drive some opponents wild as well because they want to engage him in like trash talk and chirping and stuff. And I don't know if he says a thing out there on the ice because he doesn't say much to us in the media. That almost sort of plays up that role of the villain because guys don't, they, you know, they don't can't get at him. They can't get in his head and he doesn't have much of a response. He just lets his play do his talking for him. And he is playing really well right now. He's scored in four or five. He has a five game point streak. And it's hard to imagine that he's going to come out of the lineup uh, anytime soon if again, and I think that's all he wanted was this opportunity to prove that, yes, he's an NHLer. And it's important, too, to remember, like, this guy doesn't turn 23 years of age until just before Christmas. Like, he's still a month away from his 23rd birthday. So he has done all of this at a relatively young age and just looks like he's gaining confidence as he goes here and uh, certainly is contributing to the Vancouver Canucks and their success. 5-1, they defeat the Seattle Kraken as we carry on here on Rinkwide. We will touch on Elias Patterson. There's a lot of noise around him, not a lot of noise uh, when it comes to his production in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Andre Kuzmenko want to get back into to that storyline. Quinn Hughes extends his point streak. So this team giving us a fair bit to talk about, and that's what we do each and every game right here on Rinkwide Vancouver. But before we go any further, got to get to our Betway bet of the game and after a busy Friday in the National Hockey League a little bit thinner schedule on Saturday I'm looking at Buffalo at New Jersey something's not right with the Devils they've lost three in a row they have just three wins in their last 10 they're below 500 on the season got a negative goal differential Sabres were winners on Friday at home against Pittsburgh they'll look to make it back-to-back wins on the weekend and there's some value to be had here as well you can get the Sabres on the road at 250 50, and that is your Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. It's Jeff Patterson along with Harm Dial of The Athletic and Canucks Convo. First time here on Rinkwide Vancouver. We're happy to have him. And we'll come back and carry on. Talk more about this Canucks win in Seattle as the team packs up and heads for San Jose and its next game on Saturday night. Canucks out of Seattle and into San Jose on Saturday night as we break down this 5-1 win over the crack and it's Jeff and it's harm with you. And let's get inside the locker room. We're going to hear from Rick Tockett a couple of times. We'll hear from Teddy Bluger as well. Rick Tockett obviously beaming about a lot from his hockey club, that penalty kill in the early going. But again, as we talked about in that first segment, Harm, the, the story really was the support of the depth forwards and Rick Tockett loved just about everything he saw from guys lower in his lineup tonight. And it's tough, too, because we had a lot of penalties and a couple of guys didn't play. So I'm kind of proud of those guys. You know, it's sitting there for six minutes. I've told you guys before it's tough. But, yeah, um, I thought Amon was great. Um, he's been great down in Abbotsford. He really, when he's in the lineup, he really balanced the lines for us tonight. Yeah, pretty high praise there for Nils Amon was great, says the coach. He saw him at training camp and hadn't seen him since, but uh, referenced how well he had been playing down in Abbotsford as well. So uh, clearly Rick Tock is paying attention, or at least uh, people are filling his ear with uh, what's going on down on the farm. He didn't skip a beat. It, it sort of felt like with uh, with Oman, was able to insert, and it looked like he'd been playing with the, with the team for quite a while. There was no confusion in terms of systems and the non-negotiables. Um, he came back defensively a lot of times, I thought, uh, really deep to help out the defensemen, win battles. 
um, make little nifty five foot passes on his backhand to, to help the line transition the puck up the ice. Of course, had the, uh, had the important battle win along the wall to send the puck up to Hoaglander for his goal. It was just a solid, quiet, professional performance. Again, led the, uh, led the forwards in, in PK ice time, according to natural stat tricks. So uh, just one of those effective games that you want to see out of, uh, out of a fourth line center. Yeah, the final numbers for Niels Amon, 13 minutes and 53 seconds of ice time, 256 of that shorthanded, shot on goal, couple of assists, as we said, uh, plus three, and three and three in the faceoff circle, which is important because that was an area that he really struggled last year. And it was one that I wondered if, you know, would he ever be able to improve? Was I going to hold him back? I mean, this is a guy that was 38.2% on the draw in the National Hockey League, and he had the size and maybe some of it's technique, some of it uh, was just learning the league and those types of things. But uh, for him to have a saw-off on the road, uh, win three of his six face-offs, put that down as uh, things that he did well as well. Interesting, too, to hear Rick Tockett note that because of all those Seattle power plays in the first period, there were some guys that didn't play much. And Connor Garland had three first-period shifts. Like, that is hard to get into a game when you're sitting there and the game's going on around you, and then you hop over the boards and you're expected to make things happen. But uh, Garland and his line certainly got things going, and Rick Tockett was asked about uh, keeping that line together where he had all the changes, but uh, Bluger, Garland, Joshua getting it done for the Canucks once again. Yeah, I think they've been good the last four or five, six games. I think hash marked down, they've been one of our better lines. You know, I don't really see many turnovers from them. Uh, You know, I thought Teddy was great. I mean, uh, Dakota's been playing better in every game, and, you know, it's nice to see Gars get a couple points. Gars deserves a few more points. He's been playing good. So, yeah, that line deserved to, uh, to stay together. And to hear the coach talk about it there, uh, four, five, six games, uh, he thinks that they have been among his best. And so not a surprise that he found a way amidst all that change to keep that trio together and just ask them to keep doing what they've been doing here. Yeah, and they just never get scored on too, right? We've spent a lot of time sort of ruminating over they're creating a lot of chances when are the goal is going to come in, but the the best defense is playing in the offensive zone. So that's an underrated part of the story too is, you know, Tuckett alluded to how they don't turn pucks over, how they, you know, control the play down low. And it also helps the team as a whole. Um, there have been some nights where it feels like they're a little bit flat and that line is just able to drag them into the fight. I, I want to say the Dallas game was sort of similar it felt like the Canucks weren't off to their best start, but then the bottom six got them sort of engaged. That's uh, what I remember JT Miller specifically citing that night and, and how it sort of got the whole team going. And, and that's what that sort of line can do for this team is just sort of kickstart them with playing a style that is basically a template of how Rick Tockett wants them to execute in terms of being pretty simple, north-south, tenacious on the puck. I think that's been a big difference for Garland especially is He's not the type of player that can rely on just on a skill to drive play and, and create offense. He has to be winning battles. He has to be stealing pucks. He has to be effective on the forecheck. He's been doing that. Joshua has been engaged. Suter was excellent there. And, and now Bluger. The offense hasn't always been there, but it, he's at least done the little things to help provide stability for that line too. Yeah, I think it's important too to note that first it was Bluger who missed uh, all those games up until Montreal. And then they came out of Montreal, they came back home, and Pia Suter got injured at practice. That's the last we've seen of them. Those two guys have played one game together. Like, the Canucks played 21 games. They've had one game where they're two prized free agent acquisitions up front. 
uh, have been in the lineup. And of course, Carson Soucy, another free agent, he's been out and missed a, a bunch of time as well. So at some point, you'd think they'll get a run where they have Suter and Bluger centering their bottom two lines, but uh, that's not the case right now. But again, Nils Amon comes in, does a nice job. Uh, and so did Teddy Bluger, who opened the scoring on the breakaway. His first is a Vancouver Canuck, and we said he had a strong preseason. He scored a couple of goals in the preseason, but this one certainly counts and had to feel good. And if Rick Tockett's not careful, Teddy Bluger may be coming for his job. Listen to this guy. He sounds like a head coach talking about the, the role that his line is playing and the fact that uh, they finally had a little offensive success. You know, that's kind of the bottom line is putting the puck in the back of the net. Obviously, like you said, I thought we had some good zone time in the last couple of games and some chances, but which is good, you know, having good momentum. But at the end of the day, it's about putting the puck in the back of the net. So, you know, hopefully we can build some confidence off of that and keep that going. And um, definitely a good feeling, you know, for, for myself and for Dak to put, put that one in. And, um, you know, guard, guard played a good game, had a couple assists, so it was good. Yeah, all about that bottom line. You can tell yourself that uh, you're doing a lot of good things, but as a pro athlete, I'm sure, you know, at the end of the night, you do want to be able to contribute. And uh, Teddy Bluger becomes the 18th different skater to score a goal already for the Vancouver Canucks through 21 games. So, uh, you know, Top End's been carrying this team on a lot of nights, but uh, they have been finding ways to get guys to chip in here or there. And Bluger is the latest. And he was the guy that got the ball rolling in this game for the Vancouver Canucks. So a nice night. Usually we would say top to bottom. I would say a nice night bottom to top for the Vancouver Canucks as they beat the Kraken by a score of five to one. Lots of candidates for our rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection. Always like to look at who the stars were in the building. Thatcher Demko got the first star nod. Ty Cartier, who scored and uh, was noticeable. He had uh, other moments in this game as well. A little feisty uh, late in the game too. Uh, he was the second star and Nils Amon got the third star nod. So again, what a night for Nils Amon. A contract, season debut, two assists, killing penalties, and a third star performance. I went a little different. Uh, I go all Canucks, uh, with all due respect to Ty Cartier. He'll have other nights. He's going to have uh, lots of nights to be a star. But I went with a clean sweep for the Canucks. I just thought there were enough individual performances. And uh, I go with Dakota Joshua. I, I, you know, the goal is great, but there were other things that we've talked about in, in his game. And they've been there for the last little while. So I got Dakota Joshua as the first star. I've got Teddy Bluger as star number two. And then uh, threw the nod to Neil Zaman. And certainly Demko deserved honorable mention. I could have found a way, I suppose, to get Thatcher Demko in there. And there were others too. So Good, solid effort top to bottom for the Canucks, and they beat the Kraken by a score of 5-1. to one. Did I miss anybody, Harm? Was there anybody that uh, you thought should have uh, found their way into the stars of this hockey game? I had Demko in mind. Again, I sort of just felt like through the first 40 minutes, the stability he gave them, but it was one of those nights where it was really hard to pick the stars just because everyone chipped in, but it wasn't as if there was a monster, dominant performance. There, there were so many... Um, solid performances that you could have uh, picked from. For Sam Lafferty, doing his thing. Mikheyev, good to see him score. I know it's late and it's a, a gravy goal on this Thanksgiving weekend, but you know he had sort of burst onto the scenes after the injury and then gone a little bit quiet. He hadn't scored since the Montreal game. Dakota Joshua hadn't scored since that win in Montreal as well. So uh, a couple of guys that probably felt they were due and they came through and the Canucks beat the Kraken by a score of five to one. Still ahead, uh, we'll get to the stat that stands out. We'll get a little listener feedback going on. We'll preview uh, the final game of this trip uh, into San Jose on Saturday night. So still lots to talk about here on Rinkwide Vancouver. Continuing to break down the Canucks 5-1 win in Seattle on Friday night. Jeff and Harm with you here on Rink-Wide Vancouver. We'll get to some listener feedback in a sec, but 
Harm, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Quinn Hughes. In fact, his name has barely come up, and that's a rarity on all these post-game shows with the season he's had. But he did give us reason to talk about him because uh, he gets the second assist on the Sam Lafferty goal, and that extends his point streak to 10 games, which, you know, for him, it's the second time in his career that he's done it. He had a 10-gamer last year as well. But for me, and this is the stat that stands out, and we do this on uh, each and every post-game pod, the, the stat that stands out, 21 games into the season, the Vancouver Canucks have now had two defensemen with point streaks, double digits. Hughes is at 10, and Philip Hironik obviously had his 11-gamer come to an end a couple of games ago, but uh, he gets the primary assist with the slap shot that was tipped by Lafferty. Not the loudest game for Quinn Hughes, but still finding ways to figure in the scoring. And doing it at 5-on-5, right? The power play has slowed down the last couple of games, so it's nice to see him continue to find ways to rack up points. He was still, as you sort of alluded to, definitely wasn't his sort of loudest performance, but him and Hronik, especially when you consider Carson Soucy being out and the heavy workload that they're carrying, especially during this condensed schedule where, you know, the last week or so they've also had travel involved. This is the sort of moment where it can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming for these guys. So for Hughes and Hronik to continue to find ways to chip in offense, but also most importantly, uh, I thought they bounced back well from a defensive standpoint as well in terms of not allowing many grade A chances against in the Colorado game. We saw the, it was different because it was on the PK, but Hronik sort of allowed that crossing pass that, that Nchushkin scored. So I think it was nice to, even though it was a quiet performance, have it be quiet from a defensive perspective as well, because even in the last few games, Quinn has um, had you know a few turnovers sprinkled in that have led to a couple of goals against. And so for him to just have a quiet, clean, efficient performance, I think I think is pretty impressive considering the workload he's handling during this heavy schedule. Elias Pettersson doesn't get onto the score sheet, and that's becoming a little bit concerning because uh, now it's what four points in his last eight games. So, you know, he's better than a half a point a game guy. We, we know that. But there were, I thought there were some things, you know, everybody's looking for injuries right now with Elias Pettersson and Rick Tockett was asked and Pettersson himself was asked prior to the game. And, you know, if there is something, they're not coming clean on it. And that's fine. I understand it. That's sort of uh, the hockey code. But then we're left to watch the performance. And, you know, he was firing pucks on the power play. I mean, they kind of went back to last year you know, we're just set him up in the wheelhouse and he unloaded a couple of shots. And I think that's, you know, even though he doesn't score on them, I think there's a positive in that, that, you know, the shot was there. He didn't look like he was afraid to shoot the puck because I think some people have thought, oh, he's passing up shots. Maybe it is the wrist. And then, you know, he wins the faceoff cleanly from Matty Beneers. He gets the third assist essentially on the Lafferty goal. So again, contributes in his own way. But saying that, there just isn't much flash in his game right now. Yeah, it feels like what's missing from him is the ability to create in one-on-one offensive situations. When he's cooking, Patterson is able to challenge defenders and either separate with his skating a little bit, not necessarily blowing by guys in a straight line, but the way that he's able to change gears with his turns or cutbacks, just create that little bit of extra space to set up a pass or, or open up a shooting lane for himself. So we're not seeing that sort of dynamic qualities with his skating right now and it feels like he's mishandling the puck in tight areas as well which is sort of highlighted even even further because he doesn't have the aforementioned separating ability with his um, skating right now it doesn't 
usually matter how much pressure defender is applying on him or, or how tight of a gap they're playing. He usually has such a cerebral, poised, controlled game. And I don't think we're seeing uh, those elements. And certainly at 5-on-5, five five, I, look, I like the shot-first mentality on the power play. I love to see him firing the one-timer full, full throttle. But at 5-on-5, five five, it still feels like he's really struggling to, to generate offense. It, it just doesn't feel like he's threatening enough on a shift-to-shift basis. And again, it sort of felt like there were a lot of um, shifts where his line got hemmed in, in the defensive zone. Well, his line certainly had a new look, and I'm not sure that Sam Lafferty is the long-term play, but I get what Rick Tockett was trying to do with you know, speed and size and, and try to create some loose pucks, and they do score ultimately, and Sam Lafferty's got five goals. I mean, we talk about Hoaglander and Mikheyev's up to seven as well, but you know, Sam Lafferty's been found money for a fifth-round draft pick and, and the way that he has fit in seamlessly and, and helped this hockey club and now getting promoted to the, uh, the line with Elias Pettersson. But of course, that chance was there because Andre Kuzmenko was a healthy scratch. I know you guys spent a lot of time on Canucks Convo talking about that as the news broke out of the morning skate at Climate Pledge Arena. So I don't know that we'll go too deep here, but when you look at a team effort like this and the contributions they got, does Kuzmenko get back in on Saturday night or is this going to become a, a longer-term play? Does Rick Tockett just run out uh, the same lineup that he did uh, in Seattle and, and reward them for a job well done? Yeah, it's it's tough because originally when the scratch happened, I was thinking, okay, you, you reset him for one game and sort of regardless of what happens, especially because it's the second leg of uh, of a back-to-back when it's San Jose, you're going to presumably have some tired forwards, easy to slot, slot the guy back in. But it's also, it's not just that they won and the whole old stereotype of, oh, if it's, if it's broke, don't fix it. It's more so that Typically, if it's a 5-1 scoreline, you're thinking, oh, it's it's the stars that probably carry the team. And, and there must have been somebody that was a passenger in the bottom six because it's presumably going to be somebody in the bottom six that you're looking to sort of take out. But who do you pick? In previous um, occasions, it might have been Hoaglander, but there's no way you, you, you can take him out of the lineup given the way that he's been playing. Yeah, the way I'm looking at it right now, I'm, I'm thinking it, it might be another scratch for him. Well, we'll find out on Saturday. They won't have a morning skate after flying and playing the night before and three and four at the end of the trip. So it'll probably be closer to face-off time before we find out ultimately who's going to be in the Canucks lineup on Saturday against the Sharks. Uh, Nils Amon makes his debut, a couple of assists. We talked about his penalty killing. And of course, the big news for him is that he gets a little security prior to this game. Two-year extension at 825K. So pretty affordable option for the Vancouver Canucks, a guy that'll be 24 in February. We saw him last year. He played 68 games, definitely hit a, a rookie wall at one point, and that's why they sent him down to Abbotsford. He didn't make this team out of training camp, but uh, looked at home in the National Hockey League in this game against the Seattle Kraken. You know, I don't know how much he's we're going to see him, Pia Suter, at some point, you assume, although that's becoming a mystery in and of itself. But at some point, Pia Suter will get back, and you would think that Amon probably winds up back uh, in Abbotsford. But just on the long-term play here, you know, they've got Niels Hoaglander locked up, the remainder of this year and next, at a very affordable price point. Uh, what do you make of getting two more years out of Niels Amon? I like the bet. He's um, made some positive strides in Abbotsford. He, was, he had 15 points in, in 15 games and his line was really rolling. So definitely earned this type of promotion and contract. And performance he had tonight against Seattle, I thought was uh, mature. I thought was professional. Chips in with a couple of assists there. Especially in the Hoaglander one, wins an important board battle. And I think that sort of emphasizes how compared to last year, he just looks bigger and fa- and faster to me. Both elements, right? Sometimes when a guy packs on some muscle, uh, 
it's tough for him to to keep up the same level of uh, of foot speed as this market will remember uh, the only levy when he put the weight on and all of a sudden couldn't pivot. Uh, but in Oman's case, it feels like he's stronger in those battles, especially down low where where he was able to help out defensively, uh, be really responsible there. And then also, it feels like he's quicker to pucks. Last year, I I sort of watched him and went, it's not that he's slow, but he doesn't have quickness with his acceleration. Uh, but that was immediately noticeable to me in training camp was was just how quick he was and, and also how he looked more assertive from a physical standpoint, um, considering that, hey, this is a guy that is fairly tall, fairly lanky, especially once he fills into his bodily body, he should be winning those battles. So um, I like this play uh, for the Canucks, um, hopefully getting some positive value from him because look, for this team to be successful, especially as Elias Patterson gets paid his next contract as Philip Peronik is in line for a substantial raise as well. You're going to need to find value um, in other parts of your lineup. You're going, to, you're going to need to find contracts that offer surplus value. And Oman um, feels like a low-risk shot at potentially being that in uh, in your bottom six. Well, we always like to do this uh, on all of our post-game pods, and that is uh, get to the listener feedback to our social channels at Van. Uh, we asked people what stood out for them for them in this hockey game. Chris saying, PD taking slappers and winning draws indicates something has improved with his wrist. Hopefully he's recover- recovering. Hoaglander should not miss another game this season. He's been one of the better Canucks during this recent stretch where the top forwards have not been playing their best. So that echoes a lot of what we said. Jordan says, man, Dakota Joshua starting to look like an important player. Whole bottom six stood out. Hockey first. Garland, the unsung hero. He's the Tasmanian devil. Hoaglander's a beast. And Callie Canuck coming with, I like the talk it has confidence in his whole bench. That trust leads to so much more swagger in the games of the bottom six players. And I do think that there is uh, something to that uh, when guys are involved and, you know, they're getting their ice time, they're getting their looks, and, and they do feel like they're uh, contributing. And and a guy like Anthony Beauvillier, another night goes by the books where he doesn't score, but I had a good chat with him just before they left on this road trip. And, and to that point there... You know, he feels like he's contributing. He He's not getting scored on. He's doing good defensive things. And so he said, it's just so much easier to come to the rink right now when the team is winning. Even if there are some personal struggles, nobody's letting those personal struggles sort of boil to the surface that it's just a good mood and a good vibe right now. And they all, for the most part, 21 games into this thing, they have played like a team. And sure, you'd like to see, you know, Garland deserves a goal here or there. Beauvilliers do just based on, you know, the shooting metrics and shooting percentage and everything else. But uh, I don't think that anybody's sweating the fact that they didn't score in this hockey game because so many other guys did. And ultimately, it was a good team win. And they can uh, try to back it up with another one on Saturday in San Jose. Absolutely. And especially for this Canucks team, you know, on the West Coast, a lot of travel over an 82-game season. It's really, really demanding. And look, the Canucks' top players are going to be leaned on a ton, especially on the blue line. But even offensively, the the types of all-situations role that uh, Miller and Pedersen sort of log. So there are going to be nights where, especially when the when the schedule really ramps up, that there, there are going to be lulls. And, and that's normal. That that sort of happens to top players, and this is where you need um, your bench to be able to step up. And, and I mean, credit to Bluger, especially for, I know I, I know in an ideal world, he's definitely not a third-line center. I don't think he has the offensive chops and the finishing to sort of fit there. But for a guy that 
miss the start of a season. And a lot of times, even from a conditioning standpoint, that can put somebody behind the eight ball. What I've liked about him is, okay, the finishing before tonight maybe hasn't been there, but at least he's done a lot of the little things to help that line continue to, like there hasn't been a drop off in their ability to actually control play. And sure, of course, most of that is on Garland and Joshua and how they're pushing the pace, but you do notice little details with Bluger. For instance, how deep he comes in, in the defensive zone to help on, on breakouts, which is one of the staples that Pocket likes to preach that he wants to see because, again, this is a labored blue line that has had some issues on zone exits. And I, and I think over the last couple of games, I've been impressed with a couple of sequences where, again, it's never going to end up on a highlight reel. I don't think anybody notices, but I'm thinking, oh, he's definitely in the right position there. Um, and that made it so much easier for that line to transition the puck up the ice it sort of feels like positionally he's always in the right spot, always positioned to where he can support the puck, um, able to help out with his defensive stick. Uh, and so even in the absence of scoring, you can count on at least that line not getting not getting scored on, which is huge, right? Because we're used to in, in years past, I mean, looking at the bottom six and you, you put, you'd pull up natural stat trick, look at the goal differentials at five on five, and it's like, oh, Jay Beagle line has been outscored by a two to one ratio. And it creates all this extra stress on the top uh, on the top six that this you know the bottom six is creating this deficit that you have to climb out of that hole. Um, now, even if they aren't scoring every night, at least they're not putting you behind the eight ball. No, and speaking of behind the eight ball, that's where the San Jose Sharks have been all season. That's uh, probably where they're going to stay. Canucks are into San Jose on Saturday, and we said the challenge here for the Canucks probably isn't even so much the Sharks. It's just. What do they have left at the end of this uh, hellacious stretch of, and that will be the 10th game in 17 nights with, as you said, a ton of travel when you think that that stretch started in Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, home for one to Calgary, back home, and now they've done Denver and Seattle and down to the Bay Area here. The Sharks back-to-back as well. They had an afternoon game on Friday. They lost in a lengthy shootout to the Montreal Canadiens. Mackenzie Blackwood played. They're both at home. It's possible Blackwood could go again, uh, but maybe the Canucks catch a break here and see Capo Kakinen. They chased him in that 10-1 romp uh, to start this month. So we'll see about the Sharks, uh, who have been a little bit better, and they pushed the Canucks. Look, the Sharks played hard at Rogers Arena on Monday night, but ultimately the Canucks were able to win that one. So they're 2-0 against San Jose this year. You'd like to think that they can make it 3-0, um, I, I'm curious to see Nils Hoaglander with the slew foot got kicked out. We talked about, uh, you know, him starting to be a guy that other teams are taking note of. I wonder if the Sharks have any sort of response. Like, I wonder if Nils Hoaglander is in the crosshairs for the slew foot on Kevin LeBanc on Monday. And if the Sharks go looking for him in any way on Saturday in the tank. Yeah, I think I'm, you know, I'm curious to see as well. I'm not expecting expecting it just because he got kicked out of the game um i feel like it would have been different if he was you know in a situation where the call got completely missed and um you know the code there's always this idea of okay well if it it, well if it wasn't taken care of by the refs we'll take care of it in our own hands but here it sort of felt like especially even with the fine that he got the justifiable amount of punishment so i wonder if that sort of uh, alleviates it against the sharks you know, from the Canucks' standpoint, they've got to make sure they get the first goal. First goal is always important, but especially against a team like the Sharks that struggles to create offense, but we saw how hard they played. And I thought they were actually pretty structured through the first half of the game where both in the neutral zone and in the defensive end, they protected the middle. Uh, They didn't allow crossing passes. They didn't allow a lot of chances off the rush. So if a team like that gets ahead, 
then all of a sudden they can just park the bus and it can be frustrating where you can have all the zone time you want. But if you're just firing pucks from the perimeter, you may not get you anywhere. Whereas if the Canucks are, are able to get ahead, you have a Sharks team that has been clipping it around one and a half goals per game. It's, it's just deflating when you're down like that. And now you're thinking, okay, we can't just park the bus. We, we got to open things up. We got to really push and somehow manufacture offense. It becomes a completely different game so from the Canucks perspective that first one is going to be especially important I think and that's what they did in San Jose the last time when they scored on the first two shots of the game were up two nothing four minutes in and you're right the dagger got in there early and the Sharks just had no reason to push uh, they played better and were in that game it was scoreless until Quinn Hughes took matters into his own hands on Monday night at Rogers Arena so we'll see what happens end of the road trip for the Canucks end of this long stretch of games do they have enough in the tank at the tank when they take on San Jose on Saturday harm great stuff a lot of fun looking forward to getting you on throughout the season to do more of these here on Rinkwide. so thanks so much for staying up late on a Friday night and helping us out here uh, enjoyed it uh, an awful lot Thanks. It was really fun. There you go. Harm Dial of The Athletic. And of course, uh, you see him Monday to Friday with Quadrelli on Canucks Convo as well. Vancouver Canucks, full value for a 5-1 victory at Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. And they're off to San Jose. We'll have another edition of Rinkwide after the game against the Sharks on Saturday night. So make sure you check that out as well. But for Harm, this is Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.